Hi, Sebastian. Welcome back. And you are in Chicago, right? I am in Chicago right now. I'm speaking at the local jug this, this evening. How how cold is it? So in Celsius, hey, not in Fahrenheit. It is in Celsius. Uh, when I arrived, it was like minus 11 or something. Now I think it's minus five. So, but it's also kind of windy and okay. mm, yeah. And oh. I, yesterday I was in Sweden and there were developers from uh, almost Polar's, Polar Circle. And they told oh, me wow. there's two, two, uh, two Celsius degree as a two plus. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, uh, this is strange. There, Usually it's minus Chicago. 30 this time, but it was two plus. So um, Chicago is almost, you know, you see the polar bears, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So now um, you are the chief ESB enterprise service boss uh, office at IBM right now, right? Is it true? <laughs> if you want to call it that way. <laughs> so what's your official title? My official title is lead Java developer advocate. So I'm cool. a developer advocate for Java. You started with the lead? Yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the name, yeah. Yeah, I this do. is boring. <laughs> I would expect that you would start with junior and after a week you will adjust, you know, advocate and then lead. Right. Because if you get everything at the beginning, you know, what you can that's do. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> we both do, uh, you do, still like Java E, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Not that it change your mind? Yeah, and uh, you also did some OpenShift and um, and uh, Whitefly, and I did OpenShift and Whitefly and uh, Payara. You probably now you are playing with uh, Open Liberty a little bit. Open Liberty, yeah, yes. Yeah. And uh, because we have a very similar mindset, and um, we had a chat about serverless. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look at the definition of serverless. Um, it, it basically means I don't care about the service anymore. I just push the business logic and uh, I'm happy. So this is basically yes. the definition. And uh, for unknown reasons, uh, some uh, people or speakers expect serverless to be a function as a service. I don't see the connection. So uh, it could be a function, but it doesn't have to be a function, a serverless computing. Uh, I think some in some definition they say it has to be a function, but I don't know why. I mean, it could be a serverless without functions. So if I you know package two functions in in a module, then it's still serverless, right? Yes, yes, yeah. and I agree. I also don't quite. I'm also not too happy with this overly strict definition of serverless, right? That you have to have function yeah. as a service and need uh, the, absolutely need a new API that nobody knew before uh, and all, and all that. So, yeah. yeah. And um, and uh, I had already a chat with Bruno Borges um, from uh, Microsoft Asia, and uh, he we had a chat about serverless as well. And during the conversation, what I found out that actually uh, we're still talking about the servers. And mm -hmm. uh, I was um, in the Jakarta EE uh, block, or what was it? Not block. It was the mailing list at the beginning. They uh, changed, you know, the name from. They say, let's don't talk about service anymore. Talk about runtimes. And I said, okay, what's the difference? I mean, for me, I can call it, you know, Duke. I don't care. Uh, so what's the difference? And no one could tell me this. But I think with Bruno, what I think is, server implies it runs all the time, and runtime could imply it starts and dies. So I think this this could be an interesting distinction. Uh, I still don't care whether the server runs all the time or not. But um, what really matters, I really don't care about the servers. So people mm -hmm. say, okay, I like uh, Java e servers, whatever. It's not true. Actually, for 10 years, 
uh, I just fully focus on my words and business logic, and I and I push it whenever I can, and it just runs. And uh, I get lots of questions. Uh, what is my favorite server? Whether I prefer, you know, Open Liberty, Payara, Whitefly, or Tommy. And what I say, okay, I like all the servers. The Open Liberty is probably the most innovative right, right now. And uh, Payara uh, is a proven nice, you know, command line interface. And, mm. um, and pick what you like. This is my, my answer. But if you would watch what we are actually doing, even with Docker, um, what we probably, is, you, I don't know whether you do the same, but we have a base layer with uh, application server. It mm. is basically immutable with particular version. And I rebuild this. If I get a new version, I get a new image. And then I would say sometimes, uh, uh, even in the workshop in Sweden, um, I pushed 50 times uh, the war to the Docker registry. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is the uppermost layer. This is the immutable layer. Yeah, so now... I do the same. Perfect. So, sometimes you have layers in between, like uh, what to do if you want to include a special database and you have some flavors, you know, like Postgres drivers. So you don't want to have that in your deployment artifact, obviously. So then you include another, you know, a another or a few layers in between uh, mm -hmm. for these drivers, extra configuration. And then this is your new base uh, image for your application server plus, you know, database yep. driver and all that. And uh, this is the... Um... Uh, I'd say a uh, uh, Docklands GitHub project, so I call it the uh, configured service. So you can have, you know, Whitefly, Payara, or Tommy yes. configured service, and this is the in intermediary layer. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing is, so and and then I experiment a little bit with uh, ECS, Amazon, and Oracle container clouds, and push to mm -hmm. the clouds. And what happens then is you you push your base image once to the private registry in the cloud. And then you push, I don't know, 50 times a day the war to the cloud. And um, and then there is some manual work involved, you know, to restart the server. But basically, you just kill the container and restart the container. Mm -hmm. And this is, I would say, 60% of serverless already. Because in this point of time, I only have actually business logic with a view annotations. And uh, I... I I have a, um, I would say, publishing format, which is war. Mm -hmm. Just forget about that. But the only thing what I'm doing, and actually, I'm sending the war, just the war, to the Docker registry. And actually, Docker does it for me because it sees the uh, uppermost layer. And it changed, and only this layer mm -hmm. is pushed to the private registry. So mm -hmm. I'm misusing Docker as, a, let's say, as FTP, let's say. But now, uh, you are also familiar with OpenShift, right? Mm -hmm. So and the the intermediary configuration uh, step on OpenShift, you could use S2I source to image. This is uh, mind bending if you start with that, but if you manage to create such an image, what what this image actually does is uh, it is a Docker executable Docker image, which is uh, capable of creating uh, the uh, configure. Um, ready to use Docker image with everything inside. Mm -hmm. So and um, so what I did recently for Payara, there's uh, such images are already um, available for Whitefly on, on my GitHub account. is called, I think, Payara S2I for a startup client, actually. Um, I said, okay, look, we have one folder. And in this folder, you can put your JDBC drivers, whatever you like. 
Then you can put uh, pre and post commands with your configuration. So just copy and paste whatever they like. You could, of course, you know, replace that with YAML and say, uh, no, more memory, whatever. But uh, I just use stock asadmin commands in a text file. Mm -hmm. So not a shell script, just a text file. Mm -hmm. And there were. And then on every change, uh, the image got rebuilt. And there was a config change event. And the whole cluster was uh, uh, not restarted. We had rolling updates and with the uh, con reconfiguration of the HAProxy. And this is not that far away. So what do you have with that? So first, it was incredibly fast. So the uh, rebuilding of the image, it took, I think, as incredibly fast. I'm not still not satisfied. 20 seconds or something. Uh, mm -hmm. You get a fully executable image uh, with new configuration. And the problem, it is not optimized. So it always rebuilds the server. And uh, I will just improve that. So instead, you know, rebuilding everything. If you notice nothing changed, just at the war and start. There will be about one second. But still, I mean, uh, let's say 20 seconds is now for the first version. is not bad. And the next step, step would be just take the... I actually would like to play with it with um, uh, some cloud. Just use REST. Push the war to the cloud. Then we could have you no know, function as a service. A function would wake up and kick uh, kick off the uh, the um, S2I image or something similar, and just uh, recreate the, the cluster. And then we are serverless, right? Yes. And I actually have uh, have thought of a similar um, service or something to offer, where you basically, yeah, like you said, deploy your your code maybe in a, in form of a WAR file to the cloud, and that's all you care about as a developer. Yeah, but um, but we, this is what we did before, mm -hmm, right? And I would, I mean, we could uh, argue on the details, like uh, how you would build that on the uh, uh, on the server. I would actually go more for an approach, uh, something like uh, similar to a, a, continue deli a continuous delivery pipeline. That you say, you know, you define it in some other approach where you have some base Docker file, and then you just add your WAR file and build it in more the uh, let's say um, traditional way, right? And then ju you just start up that Docker image that you just built. But it doesn't matter, right? Because no, no, in, in, uh, in, in my for case, a serverless solution, you only care about what you see as a developer, right? Yeah. And you just want to push the war, and that's it. And everything uh, else is hidden from you. Yeah. In this particular case, uh, it was like the microservice came mm -hmm. with the Jenkins file mm -hmm. already. So there were uh, my typical unit integration tests and so forth. And mm -hmm. one step was this S2I builder. Okay. So in this particular case, it just built the server and uh, and created the service in, and and then we had uh, a, a short stress test, and mm -hmm. then uh, uh, the image was tagged, and this was so we still need the Jenkins file for development. Mm -hmm. In in prod, you would just push the image because you don't like you know to run the unit tests again. Right. But uh, if you think about this first, I would say you could implement such such a thing. In a week, I would say, with you know, with lots of or uh, in a day, but let's say with some documentation in a week, and for uh, for for developers, it's actually a huge benefit because for me, this Java stuff is ultra productive. I mean, I, I could actually test it locally on whatever server I like, and then and then use Maven or whatever scripting tool I have, and say after it's built. You know, post this or curl, just upload this image to there, uh, or not image. The war, the war is very small. It will be crazy fast, and 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 this is what I don't get because the whole function as a service is actually painful. 
So uh, functions as service, if you if you really package this with lambdas and try to build an application, I I, I mean, it is uh, there's not. I would say it is it is not fun. So this is like my uh, honest, you know, official way to to explain that. And for particular use cases, functions are great because you could use them as message-driven beans, you know, to listen to events, do something. Like for instance, we could create a function. Actually, this would be killer killer use case for functions. Like, right? It's, function is that, but it listens to the network. If work uh, uh, comes in, it wakes up. You know, kicks in the build and then goes sleep again. So this would mm. be a perfect case for a function as a service. You know, to, to yes. yeah. But request response. If you really would like to build a microservice which exposes a REST service and build this with just with functions, this is way too complicated. Mm-hmm. This is too fine grained. Yes, and and I mean functions and functions as a service are very great for you know conferences and hello world examples. But once you get a little bit more more complex, then typically they they are not enough. And usually you also have to you know learn some new API or some new way of doing it, right? Because um, none of the functions I know um, use some some kind of API that you typically know as an enterprise developer, right? Like to to build on Java E or to build on Spring or something like that. Mm-hmm. You always have to learn some new things mm-hmm. and now let's talk about added value of clouds so mm-hmm. um now we just have you know our typical typical java application with where we can inject stuff and we have our JaxRS, we have json and uh json b and properly even gms and gms becomes interesting and but the cloud provider could uh, has no services so if you play a little bit of with clouds, mm-hmm. it all look the same. They, you get an SDK, which has Maven dependency. And then you always do the same like authentication and you have to use a singleton to create an interface. And it's like Java E was 1945, you know, so a long time ago. <laughs> and what you could do right now is create a jar with CDI extensions or just with CDI producers. This would be a good start. And they would implement the cloud, uh, the cloud APIs or expose mm-hmm. the cloud APIs and make them injectable. Mm-hmm. And now we are talking because if I'm in a Google Cloud, I could just say add inject, you know, blo- how it's called, blob storage, forgot the name. And then I get the interface and I don't care about the authentication authorization because it's handled mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And this jar could be, could be hidden in Whitefly, Payara, OpenLiberty in, you know, the common lib folder. And uh, just work, and this is a minor step. Of, but from productivity perspective, imagine that you know. And then first, the uh, the cloud providers have, have added value. Developers have fun because they only have to eject the thing; don't have to think about authentication, authorization, and uh, just use this this interface. And we have our thin wars because this SDK is completely outside. Mm. The, this would be stored in the super image. And uh, and this is a killer feature, actually, right? Uh, I fully agree. Yeah, this is very very, very nice way of integrating. I mean, in general, of integrating any uh, functionality that you need, right? Yeah. Um, to to first of all um, package it uh, as a library that's uh, that's being packaged in the base uh, image, and then also like as you say, if you need more and more on, or if you want to um, just um, add some CDI extensions or um, anything that makes it uh, injectable and, and usable out of the box. Yeah. Yes. So now you know what you what to do. So you, you, now you have time, you know, as a, as a <laughs> lead advocate uh, to, uh, 
to, to test that and speak about it at conferences. And if it works, I will steal your idea again and also speak a little bit about that. But um, I wanted actually, would I have the PyRS to i image? And uh, if I will have some time just to extend it with some additional stuff, uh, which could make it uh, more interesting. Absolutely. And I will uh, totally share that idea with uh, some colleagues who work on uh, who uh, work on Open Liberty or in Liberty full-time uh, to do something like that or yeah. to, to take that idea for, for the Liberty runtime as well. Yeah. What, what they, Liberty is uh, really nice because they could integrate, you know, the modules in the Liberty config. I forgot the name, server config in this XML server file. XML. Yeah. Then you then can say, okay, the server XML, now we have the, you know, Google, uh, Google Cloud APIs and make them injectable. And I think this this is a huge distinction point, right? But it is actually fun to implement because the the the, the work is already done. All the SDKs are available. We only have to wrap them, expose them, which is really fun. And the result is incredible, right? You can say we have a Java eStock application, and then if you like, we can inject all our services, and here we go. All right? Yeah. Agree. Agree. Yeah, cool. So um, this is what I never got. Why they don't doing this? Because you ask, uh, <laughs> and I think no one will implement that because I think from the the cloud vendor perspective, they have complete different point of view. They try, you know, they they thinking in events and 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 messages, and uh, they don't actually know how what we are doing in projects or what we did in projects. Most of the projects mm -hmm. are not that exciting, right? So we have a database and we have to talk to the database, expose our REST service, and everyone is happy. And sometimes, this is actually most of the applications in all companies mm -hmm. I know are, are like that. And if you are productive with that, then you will win. And uh, productive means it should be convenient, should be simple and work out of the box. Mm -hmm. um, now that's interesting. Now I have a question to you. From your experience, uh, how you see the most usage of these Java um, SDKs being used in projects, right? Like where your Java application actually wants to directly talk to some cloud service. Uh, I mean, talk is... to like the um, app. Yeah. Um, I, I, I never created it uh, by myself what I see the results. So I am in the projects where they, 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 they ask me for help and I saw the bootstrap code is terrible. Mm -hmm. It is like, it looks like, I don't know, I don't know whether you did Java before. We did it at the beginning of Java, like, you know, the whole GD configuration, just, you know, mm -hmm. tons of Java and, and nested classes or whatever, you know, to, to and, and actually a noise code, which is absolutely, if you see this as a Java E developer, the first question is why, why we have to do this. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely unnatural. What I would expect something like GMS context or entity manager, uh, right. Which can be injected, and now we can inject it. Google, how oh, it's called, Google Data Storage. Forget the name. Or uh, SQS object store. Uh, object store, and there is a NoSQL store or a Cloud Spanner, whatever they have. Just make it injectable. Or we could even have, you know, um, if Lambda functions sends an event, it could be automatically converted to CDI event. Mm -hmm. For instance, so uh, there yeah. could be integration in this. So we we have everything already, right? Uh, absolutely. That, that's what I did before in a uh, project for Kafka. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. wrote a small wrapper, so you uh, emit a CDI event, and then you can just uh, easily do whatever yeah. you like with that event. And Kafka could be JMS or Kafka could be CDI. So mm -hmm. both are possible. And both are very easy to implement. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's true. So uh, next question, because I saw you are talking a lot about Istio, right? Yes. Now, I, I, I use a lot OpenShift, but mm -hmm. I cannot imagine 
which benefit Istio will bring on top of OpenShift. If I'm b- building my microservices, I have everything already with routing and what would be the killer feature of Istio on OpenShift? Right. So you get a lot of, uh, you're right, you get a lot of routing on, on OpenShift, a little bit more than uh, even a plain uh, Kubernetes can do. Um, what you get more with uh, Istio is, is all these uh, cross-cutting concerns, uh, such as um, observability um, or uh, security between uh, services, um, on basically on top of um, your applications without changing the applications. So uh, what I like about Istio that it's uh, it actually in my eyes it's very very similar to the mindset of, of Java Enterprise that you um, basically configure everything you know like aspect oriented programming mm-hmm. right in aspects without changing uh, your code and out of the box you get uh, things like monitoring and distributed tracing uh, almost for free mm-hmm. um, and things like securing uh, securing the the traffic between your services uh, with the mutual TLS and uh, uh, automated um, certificate uh, generation and checking off all that uh, w- without changing anything in your application. Right? But the certificates uh, you also get from OpenShift. Uh, right, but uh, I mean certificates be- between services like cluster internal uh, communication. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. If you want to secure that as well. And then you can uh, uh, do quite interesting things like, for example, uh, sample, uh, setting up policies, mm-hmm. saying uh, only one uh, service may uh, call the other. But you can actually check that by seeing whether the um, um, whether the the signage of uh, um, the signature uh, of the communication was done with the correct key, right? Because mm-hmm. you can literally check the key that was that, that was being used and things like that. And um, what I like about it that you uh, can do all these things without uh, adding it in your application, right? Yeah, uh, but this, so is, this like is basically if, what I, what I do um, what I do there. If you hit the wall with OpenShift. Then you should look at Istio. This is this is what I hear from you, right? Because um, well, what do you mean, say again? So if uh, OpenShift uh, doesn't fit your requirement anymore because uh-huh. you uh, need uh, more flexible behavior, then it's time to apply Istio on top of OpenShift, right? Yes, in terms of traffic management, yes, because um, Istio can do a few more things uh, internally. The um, compared to OpenShift, so you can define multiple uh, versions. You can do uh, canary releases uh, very easily, also um, inside the service, right, without uh, using routes, mm-hmm. uh, cluster internal. Um, but it also, even on OpenShift, uh, it adds um, a lot of observability without um, touching your application, right? So because what it does, and in, in my eyes, it's a little bit different uh, also to to OpenShift. Um, so these two technologies don't really collide or don't collide that much, I believe, um, because you add all these uh, sidecar containers, all these proxy containers with these Envoy proxies on Istio um, to your application. And then you can um, basically, you know, very similar to Java E proxies, um, mm-hmm. or pretty much the same idea. And then you can add all these aspects without changing your application, right? So you can say, oh, now I want to add some monitoring out of the box, uh, which is not uh, also not done uh, by OpenShift out of, uh, out of the box, right? And you can have uh, some Prometheus and Grafana dashboards that actually ship with Istio if you conf- uh, configure it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same is true for Zipkin or for Jaeger tracing. Mm-hmm. Um, you say uh, you add some tracing, and then what is very nice for Java E if you add microprofile open tracing um, on a runtime that supports both, right, like Open Liberty, mm-hmm. And then you, know, you literally can just uh, take the JAXRS um uh, inbound resource and your server will um, take the uh, current uh, tracing context and just add it to an outbound um, HTTP client request 
and then you can just use um, open tracing out of the box and it just works and your http headers are being passed and then um, you can have a um, you can have a tracing dashboard which is also provided by istio so it adds a lot of nice observability. But uh, talking about the metrics, so what I'm doing currently in projects is um, I'm using the uh, microprofile metrics, uh-huh. and uh, but I'm never starting with the technical metrics. What I do, uh, we talk about, I, I, there is no name for it, like business KPIs. Yes, yes. And, um, and you have to implement them because uh, you cannot yes. just you know annotate a method and this is what i start with this is the most crucial thing because uh in my stress test i'm measuring actually exactly this mm-hmm. and regarding the open tracing so there's one annotation traced and it sends the uh, ids to a central jaeger tracing server so this both are solved so if i would use istio on top of that uh istio would monitor traffic more right so what I get with, yes. with uh, Istio, I can say, okay, bandwidth monitoring, stuff like that. But um, I'm actually fighting just for the KPIs and for the, for, and for, for the uh, tracing. And uh, this works already well in projects. And uh, my, so my feeling is, you, you, how long do, uh, you are out of projects? So for how long are you now? Um, I'm actually also doing some projects uh, on the side as well still. Oh, Cool. And I'm talking a lot with with customers and, and trying to stay um, trying to stay in the field because I believe that's that's very important. Yeah, that's very important. So uh, I have really yeah. trouble, you know, to sell that. But mm-hmm. if Istio comes on top of that, so then we have to configure OpenShift and we have to configure Istio. And I would also challenge developers to still expose the business KPIs and the trace. Yes, and I very much agree. So. Um, and you, you're totally right. So what Istio adds, it's it's all just technical because it cannot, it, it does not know about your business, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, your business metrics are far more interesting and far more important because this is about your business domain, right? It's right. the same with, with classes. You can have the coolest framework, but it will never know about your about your use case because it, it can't, right? You you always have to implement your business logic, and that's the most important thing of your uh, application. And the same is true for business metrics, right? Like saying, okay, how many cars have I sold over the last hour and what is the um what is yeah. the revenue we make and all that and you you will never do that with uh, with technical uh, with technical information or technical yeah. metrics so everything that um istio covers uh, in regard to that is just technical yeah so um as this doesn't collide and and um it's it's like a, a nice nice to have feature on top of it um especially if you don't uh, use anything um else in container orchestration um that provides us out of the box um, and it just comes basically, you know, for free. It's something like I, I see quite, um, quite like application server uh, monitoring, you know, like JMX that is just being provided out of the box. Um, as a developer, you don't care that um, typically that much about, you know, CPU and memory consumption and all that. Um, and um, yeah, exactly. Probably, you know, full size and everything that your application server provides. Uh, but but it's it, it can be very helpful information that's just there. And, um, you know, the application server is being forced to provide it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you use Istio, and uh, it's, in my eyes, quite, e- quite easy to, uh, to install, and it just adds that and provides it out of the box, then you have the technical metrics as well, right? Without doing much in my eyes. I actually, I think I found a killer feature for Istio. Would you like to hear? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, databases. So we have sometimes databases running uh, on OpenShift cluster, and then I could install uh, Istio as a sidecar on the database and monitor traffic to the database because yes. this is relevant, you know. How much bandwidth uh, mm-hmm. is, can the database still handle the load 
is it possible and, and, and is the database doing anything? Because I have actually no influence on, on the database. So there is some internal database monitoring, but it's a lot harder. I have complete control over my about my microservices and um, and I expose a lot of things, but I have no control um, about the database. So I think installing Istio Sidecar on a database pod could be interesting, like Postgres. That's yeah, that's an easy way to uh, to uh, observe that, for example. And we and, already had um, that trouble in one project where there mm -hmm. was uh, so much traffic going on that a data database had no chance to write all the data because the disks were too slow. And mm -hmm. with that, we, we would see, you know, um, immediately that the traffic is too high. Right, right. Yeah, it very much depends on uh, always what you what you want to uh, measure and sample, right? And and what I'm saying is, is still in, in service meshes in general, that's that's not a silver bullet, you know, like never. It's it's just an easier way to have some more technical um, um, information, some more a little bit more uh, observability. If we're talking about observability, right? It's it's also has a few other features on top of uh, on top of your application being provided out of the box, right? And, yeah. and that's all. That's it. Of course, you have to do you know all these uh, these other things uh, yourself, and there are many ways how to provide a better observability. And as always, if you implement it yourself, it will always be you know better suited for your domain. So, so that's just natural, right? Yeah. If you implement that yourself, you can just immediately uh, emit what exactly what you want to measure or you, what you want to expose. Mm -hmm. um, so that will naturally fit your domain better. And in most of the cases, you have to do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but what I'm just saying, it provides a lot of things out of the box. Mm -hmm. And um, two stories. Uh, one was, um, I think, two years ago, a task force. And uh, they, some business processes didn't work as expected. And they asked me to help. I said, okay, what do we need? A monitoring. Because what I would like to do is you know, to, 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 to expose some metrics so we can look at the system in production and see what happens. And they said, please note, we have already 30 dashboards and no one knows what's going on. We don't like another dashboard. And I took a look at the dashboards. And this was exactly what you said, you know, traffic, CPU usage, I suspect even weather, you know, in the basement. Uh, um, but no one knew actually what the hell is going on. And what we did is, okay, deactivate all the, all the, all the metrics. And, and what we did is we, we specify just a counter how many successful processes, uh, you know, happened mm. and, and how many failed. And this solved everything. And this is, this is my constant struggle. Developers love dashboards without effort. And yeah. this is why Hystrix was so popular. I was Java yes. user group in Hamburg. And, and I say, who the hell know, like, needs Hystrix? I mean, this is crazy complicated, and you have to build command patterns, strange things, and um, the application server does it for years. Why we should use it? And uh, after the show, uh, uh, a consultant came to me said, with uh, Hystrix, I can provide my customers a view dashboards. And it looks a little bit more professional, and uh, I can sell already some of my services. So yeah, it looks professional, but you know the added value is zero. This is the same as uh, you will expose in a car. You know, I don't know temperature of the exhaust pipe. It could mm -hmm. be uh, interesting and and nice to look at, but uh, it's completely useless. Yes, and I very much agree with you. And. Uh, in both ways, so um, you always have to ask whether um, that provides helpful uh, information. So you should not invest much much effort in, in you know building dashboards for for technical you know metrics uh, things like that. And uh, everybody does it, right? I if know, you... and that's it's, it's more like a. Um, I recently had a, a similar conversation, and uh, 
uh, I heard it's it's more like a, a feel good factor, right? Yeah. So it it looks professional, it looks nice, and you can have a look at the dashboard, and there's still something going on, and you yeah. say, okay, great, you know, like exhaust pipe temperature is yeah. still okay, but you have no clue what that means, and if something happens, this information will not help you. We should sell lava lamps, you know. These are the yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just without you know no connection to the applications. I don't know. Uh, uh, or just randomize. The yeah, or randomize a dashboard. <laughs> this is what you don't have do. to data. Just show something. Commercial software, just uh, yeah. No kidding. So in in the project, what I told you before, uh, they they uh, observe the garbage collector behavior. I don't know mm -hmm. why, and they say take a look on this. I took us and ask me, does it look right? Uh, say, as long as the system works, I don't care. So I mean, uh, it could be right or not. I I don't know your system. I mean, this this will this won't be your problem, right? And it wasn't. But um, yeah, this is what uh, what I don't like about Istio is because everyone is interested. In Istio even get more useless metrics. So and then uh, yeah, and this. Um, but uh, I'm just searching for killer features. And uh, what with your conversation with you, the database thing is really useful. Just to to monitor traffic to database uh, because this is not easily possible without Istio. Because mm -hmm. I cannot install, I have no influence on JDBC drivers on Postgres, for instance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and if we talk about uh, killer features, and another thing that I, that I see, um, so the security part is, is quite nice to have, but cluster internally, I'm usually not that much interested in uh, in that. Um, what I see uh, as a big feature is the whole traffic management because this is quite powerful. Uh, so, for example, what you can do, um, or uh, what we uh, what we actually did, uh, was to uh, basically control Istio from the uh, continuous delivery server, and then use the whole um, user zero downtime deployment approach uh, with Canary releases and all that using the Istio um, routing, right? So you say um, uh, the the service is being provided by so and so many instances that uh, that comes with Kubernetes and OpenShift, but then you have a more complex approach how to deploy it right like uh, first of all just deploy like one percent of the uh, deployed and just route one percent of the traffic and then increase that slowly right and that's all automated and, and then once you know nothing happens and uh, you don't get a lot of uh, errors then automatically that just increases uh, until you have a full uh, deployment on it right but you can um, do this the same with this... openshift with the annotation of the routes right um uh, cluster externally yes but but not internally no. because then Internally, it would need to use the route, right? And, so that, and you did it internally? You had the use to use that internally? Um, yes, if you have multiple um, microservices that just yeah, communi yeah. communicate internally and you just want to deploy one that is used internally and maybe not even um, called from uh, externally, but also other servers want to uh, use them without uh, having downtime, right? Yeah. So then the service uses that and then just without knowing uses a new version or then slightly new version and um, uh, slightly increases the, the, the load on the new version and that and uh, w without using routes, right? Exactly. Or actually so then it doesn't even matter because once you use these uh, Kubernetes services um, that are handled by, by Istio, um, then you always use the same routing. So far we're so, using mostly routes and therefore it mm -hmm. works. Yes, uh, true. Because you can do a similar thing with the routes and then also connect. Um, because the routes the are uh, generated usually by, by convention, so you know what the mm -hmm. name is. And yeah. uh, with the routes, this is what I meant. But uh, again, the database thing, mm -hmm. this is great. Because I get uh, lots of questions about Istio, and I didn't have a killer feature, but installing Istio on the database pods or whatever we have out of control. For instance, some external pod, which I don't know, 
uh, what do we have, Kamunda or whatever, where I have no influence, you know, some mm-hmm. external process. This is what is interesting to monitor. That then mm-hmm. is, a, is still actually a killer feature, I would say. Um, yeah, actually, also monitor everything that you don't have inside your cluster if you have connection to um, external services, mm-hmm. because you, um, you know, all the connection goes through a proxy, and mm-hmm. then the proxy also can uh, have the HTTP request for that, mm-hmm. right? Like, how often do I call whatever GitHub API mm-hmm. um, uh, and things like that, and you can monitor it just out of the box, like without uh, actually installing everything. That's yeah. that's all in general. Cool. So this was uh, worth uh, exactly another idea. Idea. So uh... um, another nice feature that, that I'm actually um, using for tests is that you can um, you can make um, uh, connections slower and make them fail uh, with Istio uh, with these proxies, right? Yeah. So this is it's also, of yeah. course only a testing feature, so don't do that in production. <laughs> but you can make uh, requests slower and mm-hmm. make them fail, um, like on you know so and so many percent uh, will fail, and and I found that very nice because uh, many many times I just wrote. Um, some you know test code in, inside uh, external backends that I, that were also uh, under my control. You know, if you send this extra uh, token, then you know make it slower or then just fail just for test purposes. Or you need a test uh, double or test mock server. Um, if you just want to make something fail to test your resiliency, for example, right? Um, and with Istio, this is uh, uh, done very simple uh, because you just annotate your route that you have anyway with some extra fault, and then it's just you know faults. Um, yeah, this is a, a great thing because uh, what you can do with it, test your timeouts, for instance. Yes, exactly. Uh, of the other microservices and, you know, mm-hmm. the bulkhead settings and yes. uh, if you need a circuit breaker. Uh, right, make yeah. it slower, make it fail, yes. Yeah, yeah. this is also an added, uh, added feature, I see. Mm-hmm. Cool. And you are, it, you know, it's just nice, nice that, that it adds without uh, overhead. So I fully agree with you. And it would, if it would be hard to set up, then, yeah, I would say, you know, who cares, right? No. Uh, perfect. So uh, I learned a lot. And now you are at IBM and you have another killer tool, uh, widely underappreciated and it, uh, a way easier than Kafka. You know what I'm talking about? Um, way easier than Kafka than you uh, talk about some eventing? MQ series. Series, yeah. <laughs> what I'm talking about is not uh, easy to set up, but it's very easy to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens several times in uh, projects, uh, most of clients, large clients, have already MQ Series set up. So this was, you know, the whole world is running on MQ Series insurance companies and so forth. Yes, everything runs through. Yeah, and they <laughs> wanted to have time. Kafka. It's like, look, mm-hmm. Kafka is properly nice, but if you try to make uh, to make uh, Kafka run smoothly in cluster in a cloud. Forget it in a project. I mean, take just go to the tutorial and, and, and take a look what you will have to do, because Kafka is like everything else, like ActiveMQ. It is based on the idea of a singleton, which is a clusterable, and there is a zookeeper which cares about that, and you will spend a lot of time to set up. So we don't even have the time in the project. So what my suspicion mm-hmm. is most of the projects are using Kafka, I know, like, hello world, and they are really glad that some events are sent and received. But this is like we would use, you know, a central GMS server on one single machine, and if it dies, everything died. So it is not really responsible to do such a thing in, in, in projects, it, unless the project are, no pointless or pointless, or the events is just nice to have events, which usually they aren't. Mm-hmm. And what we did is, if there is MQ series somewhere, um with Java E, it's incredibly easy to talk to MQ Series via GMS. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And incredibly easy is there is a, uh, there is the JCA connector which works uh, with most servers and uh, should also work with Open Liberty, I suspect. <laughs> Uh, I suspect. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, listen, uh, you only have with message-driven Bean, you only need a single annotation, and to send a JMS message, JMS context, two lines of code. Mm-hmm. If developers saw this, it killed Kafka, because it's a way easier. There is nothing to set up, and we don't care. And this is proven technology. I don't know, probably thirty years old from IBM. Mm-hmm. And I think now, as you job to investigate a little bit more and popularize that, what I also know. There is like managed, really to, easy to set up um, uh, MQ series environment which should run on OpenShift. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I mean, and there's also cloud servers and all that. Yeah, but this is like no one talks about that because for me, Kafka is completely different to JMS. Kafka is a mix of uh, persistence and messaging because it stores everything in a file. Yeah, and JMS so is multiple ways how to run. Yeah, yeah. and JMS is just messaging. So two complete different use cases, mm-hmm. and with um, and with MQ series, you get, of course, uh, deliver once and only once uh, mm-hmm. uh, persistence queues, which is uh, this what actually you always need if you need messages. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. I agree. And uh, you also get you also get public subscribe, and um, so and no one talks about that. It seems like oh, use Kafka, and no one also talks how hard Kafka is to set up uh, in in on OpenShift or in the cloud. If you use Kafka, which I use Kinesis, something managed for you. But don't mm-hmm. try you know, in your projects. And this is like, for other reasons, developers just like Kafka and they like to play with it. And for me, if I look at this, it's like, you are all crazy. I mean, and <laughs> in one day, you will have to deliver some business code. We cannot play with Kafka all the time, right? Uh, yes, and I fully agree with you. I've, I've seen the same uh, in projects and I'm, I mostly see the, uh, the difficulty of, of, of setting it up. Um, like actually not even integrating it on on the code and and with uh, with EE um, you can you know uh, same easy. story do do some CD, uh, CDI integration or, or something like that. Um, but uh, I see the biggest um, the issue with Kafka actually in, in operating it right like in, yeah. in uh, setting it up in the cloud and you need the zookeeper and then you just make want to make sure that it all runs in like Kubernetes on the correct uh, hosts and, uh, and and nodes and all that. And this is still totally not trivial. Uh, no. Fully agree. Uh, why people are so interested in it, I don't know. Maybe they do a good job in uh, conferences and, and speaking about it. And I, I see a lot of like uh, people being interested in, in, in Kafka or, um, or say they, 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 they have to have it. Uh, but, but yeah, fully agree. Uh, fully agree. It's especially on, on the way how to operate it. You, you always, um, as a developer, you have to know, and that's, that's my personal opinion, you have to know what's exactly what's going on uh, even with your um, you know what your, your messaging or your int- um, integration technology right like uh, is it actually exactly one semantics where what is being done and what happens if the whole thing uh, goes wrong right is it persisted somewhere and how is my cluster managed because if you have a single point of failure or a centralized solution then you have a problem right later yeah. on in production yeah. Then no events arrive and you don't know why. Right. So the, the first question I ask myself: Okay, we running in somewhere in clouds or OpenShift on somewhere, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, now where is the queue or where is the file? It has to live somewhere, right? And if it lives right. somewhere, exactly. it has to be replicated and has to be consistent. Right. And then you then will have you to have set up persistent claims and think <laughs> about which uh, you know volumes you choose or whatever. Yes. And then is this end of story for me? So okay, we could do this. Uh, it will take one week or two weeks because uh, what I would also uh, do, you know, stress testing, see whether it actually works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I mean, it is complicated, but uh, you cannot tell, you know, that clustering of applications that was JMS was complicated 
and uh, it will and uh, and or complex and uh, Kafka is just fine. So this is uh, you know there, it's the complexity is exactly the same because the problem is the same. Yes. The application servers gather all the messages in a singleton, and it, and if it dies, another singleton wakes up and and takes the messages over, and they are replicated with InfiniSpan or or files or databases. So they have the, exactly the same setup as Kafka. So for me, no difference. The yes. only difference is uh, IBM has 30 years experience with MQ series, and I think they exactly know what works and what doesn't. And there could be a OpenShift template which is set up properly. And I think this will be the next killer feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that or in Helm chart and um, probably integration in cloud services. Yeah, that's very good feedback. Yeah, this is uh, because lots of clients have MQ series and they don't even yes. get the idea how easy it is to talk to this. It is a message-driven annotation. I think you need five properties, and you are golden. Some are strange, like channel manager, whatever. You have to know them. But if you get them from operations, it's like in five minutes, I can talk to you via channel. Mm-hmm. Sure. So now is your job, you know, to talk to MQ Series people. And yes. uh, it could be very easily integrated with um, Open Liberty. And uh, if you have JMS integration to MQ Series, the next integration could be, or or even you could use CDI events. Who cares, you know? You have the JCA yes, connector, exactly. you can write a bridge, and CDI events is also good. Um but um, GMS2 is not that bad. It's also lean. I mean, this is one-liner. Yes, I agree. And, and from my experience, the, the code integration and that technology is usually not the issue. Right? Like it, you either yeah. write some extension, and if you want to use uh, CDI, then you use that. Or if you want to have your own code, well, who, who cares, right? Then yeah. you write your own adapter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. So we covered a lot of ground. Do you have anything to ask or any topic? Um, I don't think so right now. Actually, I think we we covered a lot, and the the rest, you know, is it should be clear anyway. Like like Java E or enterprise Java uh, related things. Yeah. Um, I think we we also agree a lot on the uh, um, on the interplay between micro profile and, and Java E. You know how how useful that can be if we use some um, if you use a runtime that supports both Java E and micro profile, and then just use the pro, uh, projects accordingly. Uh, of micro profile to enhance, you know, like metrics and yeah, absolutely. Uh, resiliency and all that. That's I think it's surprising. Nice, we have uh, like shared mind. So uh, if I um, I ignored micro profile for about one and a half, two years completely, because they were the the, the esoteric runtimes I was absolutely not interested in, yes. and now every server ships with micro profile, and this is great because uh, I don't have to ask for permission. All my clients have the servers. I just use micro profile and Java mm-hmm. at the same time, and problem solved. And yes. this is and the, you know, killer feature, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Perfect. So uh, have a great day. Thanks, you too. You have jet thanks lag? a lot for, for setting that up. Uh, no, actually, I've been in, in the US for before. So I just switched like time zone for one or two hours yesterday when I flew here from Canada. Uh, but um, always on the road. Always in the road right now, yeah. So and, the uh, next next the... podcast session with you, I would expect you know uh, that you explain me how great MQ series on OpenShift runs and how we easy it is that. to send a message. <laughs> so this would be cool. Do a proof of concept, yeah. really. I think it is mm-hmm. worth. And what we should promote Jakarta E blocks. Are you already signed up? Yes, and I'm um, listed in these Jakarta E blocks as well. Cool. I think I was uh, yes, I was part of the newsletter that just recently came out. So to everybody who's listening, uh, uh, check out the Jakarta E newsletter. 
I'm not quite sure how often that is being being sent out, but mm-hmm. uh, make sure you sign up for it. And and then you also have uh, interesting content from uh, not only Eclipse Foundation, so not only you know uh, organizational and political stuff, but uh, actually technical content uh, of uh, all outside uh, open source contributors. Mm-hmm. They try to extract some information for the article from my blog, but they mm-hmm. told me it is not usable. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what, I, what I would really like uh, is that more and more bloggers just sign up to Jakarta E. Uh, I don't know whether you know, 10 years ago, some things, there was Java blocks. You remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. This was like a portal which all Java blocks, at the beginning mm-hmm. it was great, and something like this could happen with Jakarta E blocks. So then we mm-hmm. have a single destination with the recent interesting, you know, or different point of views uh, regarding MicroProfile and Jakarta. Yes, I agree. And and there are a lot of bloggers out there, I think, who just like uh, uh, like us always share like small tips and tricks on, you know, how to use Hibernate, JPA and, and, and all that. And if you have a single source as a developer, a way could just go and say, oh, that's a new interesting trick that I didn't know, then this could be a qu- uh, quite great resource. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, people can find us on Jakarta E blogs. So uh, we only have this. <laughs> where, where people can find you, uh, except uh, your blog, is uh, Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? Twitter is at Dashner S. That's always confusing because last name first, Dashner, and then the S for Sebastian. Um, or just you know on my blog or on my website, they're all cross-linked. And what, so what's the... your blog website and GitHub? You know this? Um, GitHub is S Dashner. Yep. So that's the confusing part because then it's uh, first name uh, first. Name first. <laughs> okay. Uh, and my website is uh, sebastian-dashner.com. Perfect. So thank so you. Enjoy name. Chicago. And thank you. go out. And uh, yeah, you have now a polar circle feeling in Chicago. Yes, I do. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.